0: everyone. Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, your home for movie news, reviews, and movie fan views. That's right. This is your podcast from movie fans for movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Dunleavy, and I am joined once again by my co-host, though not in a soccer jersey tonight, Rob Dunham. (laughs) (laughs) Mario (laughs) Mario Brothers. Okay. It's super. Yes, that's a fair replacement. <laughs> All right. Welcome, Rob. We've got a great show for you tonight. We are going to talk about movies that are coming out in the near future, uh, particularly there's, there's one a new one from The Quiet Place and some documentaries. Uh, we're going to talk about issues with sound in Nolan movies. Uh, we're going to discuss underrated movies and, of course, our watch list. So let's get started with uh, particular news items. And let's start with the, let's start with the Christopher Nolan story. So um, the basic story here is there was an article that came out very recently, actually, I think it was just today, in fact, um, about Christopher Nolan saying that his other fellow directors have actually called him to complain about the sound quality in his movies. Um, In fact, the the quote from the article says his inaudible sound and the article specifically references um, frustrations from uh, Interstellar, The Dark Knight Rises and Tenet. And the basic idea here is that the sound mixture that he's using has too much sound. Um, The sound design which this gets really technical if you start getting into sound design, but the sound design is such that there's so much ambient noise and so much ambient sound that it hurts the actual dialogue to the movie. So Nolan was quoted as saying that he gets a lot of complaints about this and he thought it was really different. He said, I was shocked to realize how conservative people are when it comes to sound because you can make a film that looks like anything, shoot it on your iPhone and no one's going to complain but if you mix sound in a certain way or if you use certain sub frequencies people get up in arms. <laughs> it's really interesting. Like there's this is interesting because how often do you get articles about directors going back and forth with each other about specific elements of the sound of their movies.
1: Right. Well this is the uh the way he broke it down. This is the technician's argument right here. I mean this guy is he's a he's a movie maker in the most extreme sense of the word sometimes and I I think although we've defended a lot of uh some of the choices he's made I think this might be an area where I think there's some valid criticism um of him I know that uh with interstellar like there's some parts some swells in that movie I th- I think specific- specifically of uh the scene where the rocket is launching from earth that it just, it's overwhelming. Like, and I mean, that's put in there for effect, but the question is, is the effect worth what it's doing sonically? Um, I know with Tenet specifically, there were complaints about being able to understand some of the dialogue, especially towards the beginning of the movie. Uh, I did not have as much of a problem with that, except for one scene early on the movie. However, I only saw the movie in, Standard format. I did not see in an IMAX, and yeah. uh, Ryan, you said that in IMAX there was a, a difference.
0: Yeah, for me, for me, I could definitely, I definitely had more issues understanding the dialogue in the IMAX. I've I've seen it in both IMAX and a regular theater. When I, mean, I saw it in IMAX, the sound is so percussive. The sound is so just like in your face, and it really, really drives the energy of the movie way way more so than it did when i saw it in regular theaters as a result the dialogue was hard much harder to understand now i didn't have the same anywhere near the same issues when i saw it in standard so um do you remember do you remember having issues with interstellar with hearing because i don't i i mean i don't remember having felt that in the theaters i
1: don't think i remember any problems with hearing dialogue just that some of the major action sequences were definitely amped up. Um, and I mean, in the moment, like the the scene that I mentioned earlier, the rocket launch scene is the one that sticks out to me and the huge swell and crescendo. And when it finally breaks through into orbit and seeing all of space and the rocket and everything is very powerful. And I feel like the gravity of the scene makes what was done would the sound worth it? But it is incredibly loud. Like there's no, there's no denying that. And for some people, that's gonna be uncomfortable. So the question is, uh, is it worth making people uncomfortable? Uh, <laughs> I feel like in a whole bunch of different aspects, Christopher Nolan is always trying to push the boundary. Yeah. When yeah. it comes to uh, what we're doing practically, like rolling a literal plane into a building or putting uh, an IMAX camera on the tip of a fighter jet, like all these things that he's done versus like, is it actually worthwhile to do those things? And I think he's always pushing boundaries and maybe in this case it, there is, like I said, there's a valid criticism that it might be unnecessary in some spaces.
0: Yeah, I think it really depends because if it's just loud sound, I don't have a problem with it. Sometimes I feel like that's worth it. However, once you start messing with dialogue, once you start not being able to hear what's being said, I think that's when the experience really starts going downhill. And I think that's when it really starts getting a negative effect. And I know from like The Dark Knight Rises, how much they tried to do, uh, specifically with Bane, uh, because of Bane's mask and the way his voice was was filtered um, that that made it a little difficult too. So I think once you start crossing over into the realm of really straining to hear dialogue, I think it does take away from the experience so it is possible that this is something he needs to uh, he needs to look at.
1: The question is will he because <laughs> <laughs> well, every every uh, impression I've gotten of him as a director is that he is very set in his ways that if he believes that something needs to be a certain way, like he's going to defend it
2: Mm -hmm.
1: to the last stand. And the question is, does he need to defend every single aspect of how he makes a movie and not hear any criticism of them?
0: Yeah. I mean, Um, we'll see, we'll see what he does. I mean, um, him even with this foible is still better than most other people. So um, we'll see, but he, uh, yeah, maybe he should listen a little bit.
2: So.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's a perfect director out there. As much as we want to <laughs> have certain ones that we think are close, that no one has ever made all perfect movies over the course of their career.
0: All right, so let's get to some updates on some actual movies that will be coming out eventually. And so the first one is a is a bit of a uh, is a is a bit of a different one. It's a it's a documentary that's coming out called Neither Confirm Nor Deny. Um, And it debuted at uh, uh, the virtual event, DOC NYC. And uh, this is a documentary that takes place during the Cold War. And it's about the CIA's audacious covert mission to try and recover a sunken nuclear uh, submarine, Russian, um, like a Soviet uh, nuclear submarine that had sunk to the bottom of the ocean. and what what drew me to this is I, I it's two things that I absolutely love. I love submarine movies, and I love the Cold War. Like anything about the Cold War, I think it just breeds the kind of drama and the high stakes uh, that make for great films. And so this documentary talks to a lot of the people involved in it, um, but I just I just love I love the idea of um, of Cold War combined with submarines and, and just the uh, this idea of trying to recover a, a Russian sub from the bottom. Rob, Rob what did you think?
1: Yeah, I, uh, the Cold War is definitely one of the areas of history that I am super excited about. And I think a lot of that has to do uh, with the work of Tom Clancy. And yes. there have <laughs> been several movie movies made utilizing his work um, that highlight that i mean we talked about uh we talked about the hunt for Red october just last week and uh there's so so many other movies that he had played a part in um around this era and it's just it's fascinating there's uh, uh if you ever this is not a movie a tv show but if you have ever, never seen the show the americans, mm-hmm. uh, the americans there there's so much to unwrap and unravel In there, and they used a lot of things that actually happened, yeah. Yeah. Which some of them just seem insane, (laughs) but it was an insane time. Like, everyone was nervous, everyone was scared of everyone else. Um, I think that it is telling and timely to look at those stories again, to look at what happened, how disaster was narrowly averted a few times, and you know, see what we can learn from it because it seems like we're headed towards the same kind of feeling around the world. And it's not, not a great or super friendly or encouraging moment (laughs) when it comes to international relations right now.
0: Yeah. It's just really, it's really interesting. It's a really interesting time period. Um, And this, you know, like we said, the stakes are really high and um, documentaries are great when they're done well. And and there's a lot to mine from that particular era. So yeah, we'll see. We'll we'll see if it's interesting. So let's move on to the next one. And it was just announced that there is going to be a new Quiet Place movie. So this um, this comes um, on the heels of the actual delayed Quiet Place two. Um, this one will be uh in the works for 2022 and it's based on a john krasinski idea so he's planning on expanding that particular work um and so i i I like the quiet place and i was disappointed when the quiet place Two. i was not able to you know grab that one we weren't able to see that one before everything shut down Uh, What are your thoughts on expanding the Quiet Place uh, film universe?
1: I think it's a little early to tell because I think we need to see what is done with the second one first. (laughs) And since we're not able to see what's done with the second one, it's hard to tell um, what exactly a third one could be. Uh, And if it's not called a quieter place or the quietest (laughs) place, I'm going to be very It really should be the quietest place. Yeah. Even though the next one is a quiet place too. I really don't know why they didn't go with a quieter place because I
2: know. it was set makes, up
0: for them. It was makes there. so
1: much sense. Like um, now I'm disappointed. Like yeah. I was just telling someone yesterday too, like out of all the nonsense that's happened this year, we couldn't even get it to be called COVID twenty. I mean, <laughs> like <laughs> I am just having a major issue with titles right now. You know, it's yeah. frustrating. Yeah. Um I really like the first movie. Mm-hmm. Uh well, I th- think that we need to see what the second one is before we can say for certain if there's something still there for a third one. Yeah. Uh, because I I would say that no matter how much you like the first one, there would probably be no one who saw the first one and said, oh man, this should be, be a trilogy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, yeah. it's so contained that it very easily could have been the only one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I I have, I guess, reservations about where they would take a third movie um, but yeah. maybe those will go away after we see the second one
0: it's interesting because i think when there's not an obvious sequel after the first one it can go either way um ex- almost every single second movie expands the universe of whatever um theatrical realm that you're dealing with we talked about this a couple weeks ago with uh, the equalizer 2 um, you start out with a character-driven story and then you expand the universe a little bit broader in the second film. And so I'm, I'm not sure what they were planning on doing with A Quiet Place 2. But it's, I think it's a sign that the studios probably have pretty high confidence in the quality of A Quiet Place 2. Similarly to how they, I think it was Guardians of the Galaxy where they went ahead and, and, and you know, booked those guys for another movie after, before the first one even came out, that um, they had that much confidence in those. So I think what this mainly says is that they are pretty confident that they have a good movie in, in the second one, that they'd be willing to start going down the road of a third one. So hopefully we'll get a chance to see a quiet place too and then we can judge for ourselves whether they Yeah, I just looked
1: it up and it says currently April twenty twenty one That's what we're looking at.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's another one of those got that got wrapped into spring. Man, once these movies start back up, it's gonna be like blockbusters every single week. It's <laughs> crazy.
2: <laughs> it's gonna be
1: well, awesome. I, I just hope that uh the the movie the regal movie plan is still going strong because I'm going to want to be using it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. And so let's go go to the third one. And this is a film that's a little further along. In fact, it's a film that just wrapped up filming. And that's Jurassic World Dominion. So this will be the third film of the Jurassic World uh, series. And so this one had to go through quite a lot. To, to get finished. And they just wrapped up filming. Of course, this was one that started pre-COVID, had to shut down for COVID, came back. They had positive tests amongst the crew, had to shut down again. And all of them, it was interesting, all, all of them just talked about the film as just like, we didn't know we were gonna make it. We finally got there and now it's, now it's done. And I think we read somewhere in there that they did over 40,000 COVID tests and they had the actors like semi-quarantined on the studios trying to trying to make sure they got everything done and filmed safely. I mean, it sounds like quite an ordeal to, to finally be able to say they completed this movie.
1: Yeah, I better be seeing my dinosaurs with jetpacks and rocket launchers. That's all I've got to say. Um, which was an actual like suggestion with the old Jurassic Park movies, which is kind of hilarious. <laughs> um, I, would, I would say that, uh, although enjoyable, I don't think there are many people who would argue that the Jurassic World movies are better than the Jurassic Park movies. I think I think the Jurassic Park movies are, are a mm-hmm. pretty hot, much higher standard than Jurassic World. But um, there is a lot to be excited about with Jurassic uh, World Dominion. Uh, some of the original cast from the Jurassic Park yeah. movies are coming back. Um, Sam Neil or Dern, um, mm-hmm. two people who were major characters, yes, <laughs> obviously yes. in the first trilogy. Um, mm-hmm. As as big, it's funny as as big a name um, as Chris Pratt is. I don't, I don't feel like he has the same gravitas in in the main leading role of a dinosaur trilogy like Sam Neil had. Like there's just mm-hmm. there. He, 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 uh, Neil brought something a little just more serious, I think, to the character, um, more weighty. And, yes. uh, you know, that, that could just be a product of the writing itself. Maybe you don't want to give all the credit to the actor in, in that position, but, um, it will be very intriguing to see the melding of those two worlds and how exactly they write that and how they bring them together to make something that's cohesive. I'm really looking forward to that.
0: Yeah, and I'm I'm in agreement with you. Overall, I don't think the Jurassic World movies have been as good. Uh, I think the one thing in particular that really, really satisfied me as a Jurassic Park, Jurassic World uh, fan was in the first Jurassic World movie that you actually got to see what a functioning Jurassic Park would look like. And Getting to see that was worth was worth them bringing the series back because that was the one thing you always felt like you were robbed of is what would it actually be like to go to a Jurassic Park, and so I really enjoyed that just for that, just for that those few minutes when the park is functioning before everything goes crazy.
1: Yeah, we got to see it for about forty five minutes I think before (laughs) the things went insane.
0: So, I mean, of course you knew it was gonna happen, but just getting to see that, because if you go back to the original Jurassic Park, like you get, you know, vague hints of dinosaurs. Like there's even like, it's, it's the joke running throughout there that they can't see any dinosaurs
2: mm-hmm. and
0: that there's no dinosaurs. I and mean, you get the Jeff Goldblum, there will actually be, you know, dinosaurs on, on your dinosaur tour, right? With <laughs> <laughs> the classic retort, oh, I hate that man. <laughs>
1: yeah and I, I love how in the um in the first Jurassic world movie, the one get tech guy in the control room is wearing a Jurassic Park shirt <laughs> and he gets called out for. You know the people died there, right? like um so to see them bring that full circle to acknowledge that it's all one thing, like, I think that's one thing I really do appreciate about Jurassic world. That they didn't just try and redo. Yeah. The ones that are already made. They tried to make a new story. So to see those two storylines come together will be pretty fascinating.
0: Yeah. And uh, and so it's I'm glad it's done. I'm glad that they they were able to complete that filming, and we look forward to seeing Jurassic World Dominion when it finally
1: completely comes. unrelated. If you have not seen the trailer for the new Animaniacs episodes that are coming out on Hulu, mm-hmm. you should watch that because it's Jurassic Park spoof. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Fantastic. That sounds fantastic. I will
0: that <laughs> <it> out. Man. <laughs> Give me some Animaniacs.
1: Like, uh, so the San- animated Sam Neill character takes off his glasses and is looking off in the distance and sees the Animaniacs. <laughs> and as he sits back down, there's literally a guy in a green suit sitting next to him and his hat says Hulu on it. And the guy says... We're going to make so much money. (laughs) So good. (laughs) That's
0: fantastic. All right. So let's shift over into our discussion item for the night. So I was having this uh, contemplation when I was looking through some of my movie collection that there's a lot of movies that are just underrated where for whatever reason, they don't get the proper due. That they deserve and it could be because they didn't do so well in the box office it could be because um not just not enough people know about the movie or that it exists or it could be for any number of reasons so we thought it'd be fun to talk about a few movies that we would consider to be highly underrated and we're gonna we're gonna put a list up on the website here in the next day or two uh but uh that's going to be a little bit more full, but we'll just we'll just highlight a few of them here in our discussion. So uh, the one caveat is we're not talking about like super indie movies because all of them are by definition underrated because nobody knows where they're never. Nobody's seen them and nobody knows where they are. So they have to have had some kind of release to them. Otherwise, uh, it's pretty open to interpretation. So, um, Rob, why don't you give us one that you
2: thought
1: is as a uh, the first one I thought of is a movie that uh, I actually saw for the first time with my co-host, which mm. you may or may not remember. It was at his house uh, called The Adjustment Bureau with oh, yeah, Matt Damon like and Emily Blunt. Um, this came out in 2011. Uh, Emily Blunt was kind of known, but she was definitely not the like star that she is right now. So to me, she was a little lesser known to uh, Ryan. She was a little more well-known even at that point. Um, but I really, really like the story of this movie and it's a fascinating take on what's going on when it comes to eternity, when it comes to good versus evil, a really different take on God versus the devil. And I can't say that I walked away from it thinking, man, that was the most like theologically sound thing I've ever (laughs) seen in my life. But it was cool to have a slightly different perspective on things, and I—it's I, one that I need to watch again sometime soon. And I say it's underrated. It's—I uh, looked it up on Rotten Tomatoes, and it was seventy-one percent uh, critics uh, positive and sixty-seven percent audience positive. So it's not as if it's like a, a hated movie or anything like that. But I do think it is one that uh, a lot of people haven't heard of. Like it's just not one that I hear talked about especially when it comes to Matt Damon's career in particular. Um, I think there's probably like 10 or 15 movies that people would say before they even get to this. So to me, that, that makes it underrated. Um, you have any thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's a fantastic movie. It, it has a really unique storyline in which a guy stumbles on the fact that his life is being authored for him. And his life is being directed, and then he starts trying to take control of his life. And it's just fascinating to watch that interplay between the Adjustment Bureau and and him. So there's questions of free will versus determinism, um, making personal choices versus sacrificing for others, and, and all kinds of things all kinds of related things. I mean, it really is an engaging storyline and the acting is fantastic.
1: Yeah. I think the subject matter made it that it did not become like this huge thing because sometimes when you get into those realms, it can be too much for some people who just want to go to a movie and not have to think through a lot of philosophical <laughs> stuff, which is fair. You know, that, that certainly has a place in movies. So Sometimes subject material makes it hard for people to engage. Yeah. Uh, with what What do you have for your first?
0: So the first one, I was actually just talking about this movie with a co-worker of mine. And this is one that is definitely going to be on the list whenever we do uh, What to Watch on Amazon Prime. But this one is Logan Lucky. And this was a 2017 movie. It's got Channing Tatum and Adam Driver uh, and and Daniel Craig in it and it is is a heist movie it's it's a it's a it's a really really fun heist movie they basically try to rip off a nascar event in uh in north carolina and the characters are quirky uh the the action is underrated i mean daniel craig daniel craig this character is is something else. I mean, you've got, you've got like some of the Southern accent type things. You've got the outlandish characters. You have the, the, the crazy plot. Um, anytime you get a heist movie where you have like, well, how are they going to do it? How, how are they going to, how are they going to get the money? What, what's the plan? What's the twist? Uh, this movie has all of it. It's, it's quirky. It's funny. It's engaging, um, the heist itself is really interesting of what they do. Um, there's just a lot, there's a lot of, of meat into this. And I think it's underrated because I don't know hardly anybody who's seen it. And it's, it's one I saw on theaters cause I was really interested in it and it's been on, on Amazon prime for a while, but I just think nobody's recognized it. Have you seen it?
1: I've not seen it yet. So since it's on Amazon prime and I have that, I should probably watch it. I yeah. hear it talked. about to- it's It's definitely talked about on uh the movie's subreddit often mm. as as a movie that might have been overlooked, yeah, so I know that there are certainly people out there who are uh preaching its name
0: yes yes, and you will you will get a Daniel Craig who's definitely not the bond Daniel Craig, mm. <laughs> so it does show some of his versatility so we'll I do
1: believe up. that there is a trouble afoot. Uh, <laughs> That's a Knives Out reference. A A very poor representation of Daniel Craig's ridiculous accent.
0: Accents are are not our specialty here on the film. All
1: right,
0: what's another one for you?
1: So I this is not one that I mentioned when we did the pre-show rundown. Mm. Uh, Spoiler alert: peek behind the curtain. We actually do talk about what we're going to talk about before we talk about it. So yeah. we at least put in a modicum of effort for your listening enjoyment. Um, but this, I wrote this down and I looked up some numbers on it and I would say that it's not really underrated now. But what I find the reason why I'm going to include it on, the, on this list is because I think it was underrated at one point. And then I think so many people started talking about it and saying, you've got to watch this movie. you got to watch this movie that it's swung from underrated to, I guess, properly rated, maybe overrated to some people. Um, but the movie that I'm talking about is idiocracy Mm -hmm. and I feel like when it came out, it wasn't a huge smash hit, um, in the movie theater, uh, movie from Matt judge. That's kind of about what would happen if politics went like down the drain and our country went down the drain and it's almost kind of disturbing to see some of the stuff in it because it feels very documentary like right now, (laughs) making me very uncomfortable. Um, but there are a lot of fantastic lines in this movie. Just a lot of absolutely, utterly bizarre set pieces. Um, fantastic performances. Luke Wilson being the main character uh, in the movie. Uh, maybe my favorite line. And every time I go to Costco, like I find myself just walking around saying over and over to myself, welcome to Costco. I love you. Like <laughs> I, <laughs> I just can't help it. People are probably like, what's wrong with that person? But um i I just man, justin long's performance as uh the awful doctor, man, you've got serious problems like i just i love I love this this movie and how absurd it is, but also how disturbingly accurate some of the like criticism or lampooning of society is starting to become is a little yeah. terrifying. Like I said, I don't, I don't necessarily know if it belongs on an underrated list anymore, but it did. Yeah. So that's, that's a fascinating thing to me too, like
2: mm-hmm.
1: can a movie transition from being something to being something else.
2: Well,
0: and I think too, the general thinking at the time was, and this was, this was, I saw it in theaters and this was one of the things that I thought about it was like, it's a fantastically great concept that was not supremely well executed, uh, partially because I don't think they had a ton of budget and whatnot, but basically these two people get stuck in cryo tubes and wake up like hundreds of years later, and everything is just devolved in in incredibly. And I think one of my favorite things is that they're spraying Gatorade on all the crops. <laughs> and wonder why nothing's it's got, good.
1: It's got electrolytes.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and so these two normal people are actually the most intelligent people on earth. <laughs> So it is just fascinating. I think it's gotten so much more attention because it called out the absurdity, and as we've headed more down the realm of absurdity, it it does look more and more like prophecy, which is sad.
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's very un- unsettling. But it wondering. is
0: one of those. It is one of those things. We'll, we'll have to get into this sometimes. Where where comedy comedians are often your canaries in the coal mine. Mm. They're often the ones who are the first ones to see things and to see trends as they're occurring. And so this is why comedy is so important and why we can't stomp out comedy and can't restrict comedy because Mm. if if those people are, are allowed to tell the stories that they see. I think, I think we get somewhere with that. There's a value to society with that.
1: So what else do you got?
0: All right. So another one I'm going to mention is The Fountain. And The Fountain was just an unbelievably beautiful movie. The The way the script is written, um, the way the cinematography is, the graphics, it's just... The soundtrack is fantastic. This is basically it's, it. Stars Hugh Jackman and Rachel Weisz, directed by Darren Aronofsky. So it, it kind of goes through three different time periods. One in uh, like the conquistador uh, exploration of the new world. Then there's a, a present story with uh, Hugh Jackman and Rachel Weisz are married, and she's you know dying of cancer, and he's a doctor trying to do research, trying to cure her. And then there's a future time. Timeline and it really really delves very deeply into um, The idea of mortality and our fear of mortality But it's done in such a unique and original way um, Bringing in different aspects of different cultures uh, Impressions about what it means to die and to be reborn and what happens after death and why we're afraid of it and But it's just such a high-level concept, and especially with tying in the interplay between three unique storylines, I think a lot of people just didn't get it. Um, It is another one of those thinking movies, but it's so well done, and it's, it's such a beautiful movie that it absolutely needs to be seen.
1: Yeah, I would say the reality is, and this is not a slight on anyone, I think it's easy to look down on people at times, but... A lot of people don't go to a movie to overthink yeah. something and that's their prerogative and it's n- saying nothing negative about them whatsoever. Um, we want people to like the movies that they like because we want people to like movies. That's why we're here. Yes, uh, Film for fans, you know, not yes. con- only high concept films for only the people who can understand them. Uh, <laughs> what's really funny about this to me is that this is probably the lowest concept film that Darren Aronofsky has made. <laughs> <laughs> and it's still like ridiculously a high concept. It's not, it's not the movie Pi, which if you've ever seen, yeah, if you ever want, true. if you ever want to have no idea what's happening and question everything you think that you know about what a movie is, watch Pi Because yeah. I mean, when it was over for me, I was like, I, I really don't know what just happened. <laughs> um, so this like actually has an engaging story. It's just the way it, the way that it is told and broken down and splintered apart and pieced back together can be can be too much for some people to follow. And that, like I said, that doesn't make you a bad person or doesn't make you cool enough. Like if you don't want to go there on this kind of journey, but it's because of that fact that it isn't this huge smash. And, and I, I think that cinematography-wise, um, like you said, with the soundtrack and the performances uh, with the acting, the movie is really high quality. I remember the first time I saw it, I was just, I was blown away. And I thought to myself, why didn't I hear more about this movie before I saw it? yeah um and i think it's all those things tied together it's just Mm -hmm. um that's another thing we can talk about sometime that dividing line when you're making a movie between making something for you versus making something for the people who are watching yeah i remember i think think this is kind of in that middle space Mm -hmm. and for some people it's not going to be enough for them to be engaged with
0: i saw this with uh with a couple of my friends. And, you know, as soon as the movie ends, the credits roll, the lights come up. And then there were several people in the theater who just went, what? <laughs> 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 and so he just started laughing because it, it's, but it's one of those where, where you just, you have to, you have to see it. It's, 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 it's unique. If you're, if you're into movies and you love things that are just really well done, that's it. Do you have any more?
1: I've got one more I'd like to talk about, and this is one that I looked up and uh, does not have a very favorable Mm. review score from either critics or audiences, and it's the Neil Blomkamp uh, movie Chappie, which Mm. um, follows kind of his uh, movie-making style in uh, like the South African setting. Uh, You think about um, movies like Elysium or um, District 9, Uh, Same kind of general feel to the movie. Um, It follows the story of a robot, a decommissioned robot who ends up falling into the hands of a gang. And gets reprogrammed essentially to become a gang member. And so the question is like, what exactly is this robot capable of? Is it capable of, actually having emotion, caring for things, caring for people. Um, it, it's a really interesting look at, uh, again, like we talked about this with an earlier movie, but about the concept of free will. Uh, there are some things about it that are definitely disconnecting points, I think, for especially the culture here in America. It is very, uh, even more, District 9 is a movie about South Africa but it's it's couched in the alien versus human yeah. framework and it's, it's written in such a way that if you didn't know about some of the issues of the apartheid in South Africa you would still get it like you would still connect with it because you understand what's happening with the alien forces coming up against humans um, I think Chappie is a little more muddled in that it's very centered on South African culture a uh, couple of the main characters are famous uh, mm-hmm. rap artists from South Africa who are not well-known here. Um, people who watch the movie over there would definitely be like, oh yeah, those people over here, we've heard a couple of their songs, but we don't really know anything about them. So to see them take up like a majority of the screen time for some people, they are probably just like, what is happening? Like, who are these people? Why are they on my screen? <laughs> um, but there, uh, I think this, this speaks into another issue, which is another. There, there's so many issues in movies we can talk about. Like <laughs> Maybe we should start a podcast about it. I know. Uh, I know but like the, when it comes to cultural differences in movies, how much is an audience willing to accept or invest in trying to bridge that divide mm-hmm. um, if you're writing from a different culture? And I feel like we looked at this with the movie Parasite that came out. Sometimes it involves reading everything that's said. Sometimes it involves reading into things that are said or trying to understand an aspect of culture that we don't get. Like we don't have many places in the United States where it's a regular occurrence, like a daily occurrence that people are getting hijacked yeah. and their cars are being taken. And that's one of the main action sequences in this movie. They get the robot hijacked car. Um, but I, I have a friend, Eric, whose parents were missionaries in South Africa and he, spend a majority of his life there and these are just things that happen like this is the reality and so to see it in a place in the united states where it's not reality can be a little unnerving and like almost feel fantastical i guess but in a bad way like look at the bad aspects of society uh so i think that's like probably the main reason why it didn't connect with people because it's just so far afield from what we're used to um, as people,
0: did you ever see that movie? I did not,
1: okay. and I would be one of the reasons
0: why you could say it was underrated. Because when I saw, I saw District Nine, and like I, I, instantaneously knew what he was really, what he was getting at, and what it was about. But I can't say I loved the movie, and so there was just something about his style of filmmaking and the way he tells stories that I just, I didn't immediately connect with. And then when I once I saw the trailers for Chappie. I I was not drawn to the story, I I didn't I didn't find any reason why I why I wanted to care about Chappie, mm-hmm. and and so I just immediately I didn't connect with the trailers. And usually for me, I have a pretty good sense of knowing when I'm going to like something and when I don't. Of course, sometimes I'm wrong, um, but so what's, yeah, I never got around to it.
1: What's interesting about that too? Now that you bring that up, just reminded me because I wasn't even thinking about this the trailers for that movie really set it up as being more of an action piece centered around the robot.
2: Mm.
1: Like it seemed like it was more about this badass like robot who was like this tough guy, like taking over stuff. And that's not what the movie is (laughs) (laughs) at all. Like the, sometimes the trailers don't portray what's actually going to happen in a movie. And I think that this is one of the biggest examples of that. And I think that what they portrayed as what the movie was going to be in the trailers, um, and you're an example of this, I think it turned some people off to the concept and it's not what the movie ended up being. I was surprised by the movie when I saw it Mm. because it wasn't what I was expecting it to be. And in this case, I was pleasantly surprised. But I think there are a lot of people who didn't, didn't get to that level of engagement because they just weren't interested by what they were shown um, was going to be in the movie itself yeah all
0: right so i'll do the last one here um and i'm gonna go with the secret life of walter Mitty. and i think the secret life of walter Mitty kind of went under the radar when it first came out and i don't know that a ton of people saw it there's something about a movie that's rated pg these days that doesn't draw people in they almost think that it must be a kid's movie or it must not be great. There's there's almost a stigma right now in actually making a movie that's PG for adults. Mm-hmm. But this one was really, really well done. Uh, it stars Ben Stiller and Kristen Wiig. And it's about a guy who's basically lived a normal life, except for he's, he's never done anything. He's been boring. He's, a, he's done a boring job. He's lived a boring life. And... He has all of these fantasies about being this great, heroic, you know, adventurous figure. And when it comes down to it, he isn't. And most of his world is being lived inside of his head. And it causes him to just blank out and stare into space. Um, And then what happens is he finds out that his company is being downsized and he loses this famous photo this photo from this famous, um, famous photographer that's supposed to be like the cover of their last ever magazine. And he ends up having to go all around the world looking for it. And so it's this journey of self-discovery and this journey of, of going, and finding out who you are and just getting out of your house and going and doing things and it's so well done it's so poignant it's the character development is just fantastic and it has a, just an otherworldly soundtrack i mean the music on there is fantastic and this isn't a score this is a like actual music as a background a significant amount of it done by Jose Gonzalez who's a fantastic musician and you walk away from this film wanting to live a better life and that's that's really what's amazing about it but i think a lot of people just missed it it's not one of Ben Stiller's more well-known it's not a comedy as it were and and so i think a lot of people just missed it but it's really really well done and something it's a great movie to watch with your family if you've got kids um it's just a great movie
1: yeah i agree on all accounts it's probably it's, it's got to be, someday I have to make this list because I've never made it. It's got to be my top 100 somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where, Um, but as someone who loves music, that is a big part of it. Uh, to me, what The Secret Life of Walter Mitty ended up being was, like, what Yes, the movie Yes Man mm. could have been if it actually had, like, an emotional weight
2: yeah.
1: to it. Because yeah. um, basically that's what he's doing. He's saying that he's... He's not going to keep hiding. He's actually going to do things when they're presented to him as an opportunity. And it leads him to do some absolutely crazy, bizarre things. And at the end of the movie, he's a different person than when he started. And uh, Sean Penn doesn't play a huge part in the movie. He's the guy, the photographer in the movie who he's uh, chasing down. But he, he, does, he does make an impact in the movie in his, in his small role. And um, for, out of the movies I've seen with Ben Stiller, I think this is the most well-rounded uh, down to earth, like realistic portrayal that he's done. And I, I really feel like it was a brave choice by him to make this movie. Yeah. Uh, and like you said, it just it has not resonated with a whole bunch of people for whatever reason. And I think it's well worth watching. So I, that that's a, Film for fans, two thumbs up recommendation, one thumb from each of us on yeah. that
0: one. All right. So definitely check out filmforfans.com. We'll put up a larger expanded list of underrated movies that you can check out. So uh, check for that out on uh, in the next day or so. So let's move on to the watch list. All right, Rob, um, give us, give us something you watched this week.
1: I actually watched this one last week, but we did not have a chance to talk about it um, last week because we had my brother and there was more uh, divvying up to do for time. <laughs> um, but a movie that I saw the other week was uh, Antebellum uh, starring Janelle Monae. And essentially it uh, it's a look back at some of the things that happened in uh, the era of slavery in the Deep South. Uh, I don't want to give away everything that happens in the movie. Um, Essentially, uh, someone from modern times finds themselves in similar circumstances to people who were in slavery. That's all I'm going to say about that because I don't want to give it all away. Um, I feel like it could have been much more than it was. And I think sometimes when we try and make a movie about, something that's a deep cultural issue there's obviously still an incredible divide in our country um, when it comes to racial lines uh that it can it, it's possible to simpl- oversimplify when it comes to something like that and to not look at nuance to not provide like a real weight or a real reason behind things to just say well this is what it is and then like so you should feel a certain way because this is what it is. And obviously we should feel a certain way, but there are ways to to make that even more uncomfortable or to bring about more discussion. And I don't think this movie really got there. And it kind of frustrated me a little bit because I felt like there was a lot more potential for it to be something more than it ended up being. Um, there are a lot of people who have come out in uh, pretty strong support of this movie. Um, I would say that it's worth watching, but I don't think it's an incredible movie. So, um, Antebellum uh, is the movie if you want to check that out. And uh, I got it from Redbox. I don't believe it's currently streaming on any services at the moment that are subscriber-based. Okay. Anything else? Um, Another movie I saw uh, was Leon the Professional, mm, uh, awesome. which is... Like a classic movie, well known, uh, one of the earliest introductions to Natalie Portman. Yes. And it was incredibly bizarre and a little weird and kind of creepy to see <laughs> Natalie Portman's face on a 12 year old's body. Because yeah. it's like the exact, like, she hasn't, her face has not changed at all, like, her entire life. And so, like, I'm looking at her and I'm like, but why does a child look like grown up Natalie Portman? Like, this is weird. <laughs> um, I- have you seen this
0: movie? Uh, yes, but it's been a long time.
1: Okay. Um, so the main character, Leon the Professional, is played by Jean Reno and uh, is a hitman who is called the Italian in the movie but is clearly not Italian. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's French. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I
2: Reno
0: can't do anything other than French.
1: Yeah. Uh, but it basically follows the... Um, this guy taking in Natalie Portman's character after her family is executed uh, by dirty cops um, played by uh, Gary Oldman plays the leader of that crew of people. And if you happen to be involved in internet culture at all, you may know the meme with Gary Oldman screaming everyone at people. And it comes from this movie. So you want to bring
2: everyone.
1: Um, (laughs) Gary Oldman is just a chameleon, man. Like he is so good. I, I do not know how he does it. Um, yeah. There have been several movies I've watched where I didn't even know it was him until the end of the movie, which is ridiculous because I should know these things. Uh, uh, in this movie, he just he plays this unhinged DEA agent, and all he cares about is taking care of himself, really. And uh, to f- the juxtaposition there between him and Jean Reno's character, who is uh, at first unwillingly, and then as time goes on, uh, t- like, graciously taking Natalie Portman's character under his wing. is uh, It's a really interesting story. I will say that this movie is not one that makes you feel comfortable all the time. There's definitely some unsettling vibes when it comes to the relationship between the hitman and the little girl. and some scenes where I was like, eh, I don't know how I feel about that. That makes me feel weird. Um, and Luke Besson is also not super, uh, doesn't have the best reputation necessarily when it comes to, uh, being a morally upstanding person. Mm-hmm, yeah. And since he's the person behind this movie, it makes me feel a, a little more uncomfortable. <laughs> um, but, uh, I think, I think cinematography-wise, direction-wise, it's pretty fantastically done. And you're looking around the same time as when The Fifth Element came out, which is one of my favorite movies of all time, also done by Luke, and also starring Gary Oldman. Um, so there's a lot to recommend itself about this movie, but I don't think I walked away feeling as like blown away or um, as impressed as I thought I was going to be walking into it because this is a movie that is like a cult classic. Like it is talked about in so many different places as like this masterpiece. And I, I kind of, I, I walked away feeling like it was a pretty good movie, but not a masterpiece. And you said you haven't <laughs> seen it in a while. So you might not even remember um, your feelings on that, but do you have any thoughts about it?
0: Yeah. I, uh, not a ton. I remember feeling like, I remember that sense of like, yeah, the relationship between him and the girl is a little bit crazy. And I remember like, yeah, that's a little uncomfortable. Um, and I, yeah, I remember that's about all I remember. That mm-hmm. that was that kind of bl- the long-standing memory for me from that movie. So I don't know what that says about it, but that's uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, the bonus is that after watching it with my buddy, Jacob, he sent me a, text and he said hey you know who i think should come to church on sunday and i said who and he replied everyone (laughs) (laughs) um i'd also like to give a shout out uh to help people avoid uh the movie the impractical jokers movie um don't watch it
0: (laughs) (laughs) First negative review we've given out in a while. There
1: there are some things I like about The Impractical Jokers as a TV show, um, but I don't know what they were doing making this movie because they, they tried to tie those kind of situations into a storyline, and it just did not work. Hmm. And for some reason, Paula Abdul's involved, <laughs> and I just like... I, I just I'm just scratching my head at this movie there. There were actually a couple of funny scenes, but it was not worth making a, an entire hour and a half long movie about. Like just uh, like you look at the jackass movies, although dumb, like have kind of a coherent, like just nonsense to them. And this, this tried too hard to be an actual movie. And when you're in that kind of, Role, I don't think you can try and make an actual movie because it's not going to be serious. Like, I just couldn't take it seriously the whole way through. So, Um, save yourself, save your eyeballs. Do not rent the Impractical Jokers movie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, uh, this past week, I did something I haven't done in a while, and I actually watched both the original version of a movie and then the remake. So I watched Clash of the Titans. And so I watched the 1981 version with Laurence Olivier and Harry Hamlin. And then I watched the 2010 version with Sam Worthington and Liam Neeson. And so I watched them on back-to-back nights so that I could kind of really have a fresh perspective as to uh, the differences. Uh, Of course, you're gonna have the obvious differences of the graphics from a movie that was made 30 years later. Um, The graphics in Clash of the Titans, even for the 81, were pretty rough. I mean, it was, you know, the the models they had for, like, Medusa and for the Kraken were just so bad. (laughs) Like, they're so bad. But... Uh, and it was really obvious they were shooting on green, they were like shooting in front of green screen a number of times where uh, HD has not done this movie well, because it's just so fantastically obvious that they have a like a screen rolling in the background and someone is like sword fighting with someone in the screen and it's, so, <laughs> so you get some weird vibes from that. Uh, but I will say the actual story that they tell in the original Clash of the Titans, I think, is better than the story they tell in the 2010 version. So the 2010 version, um, one thing you obviously have is you have you have faster pacing because movies have the pacing in movies has sped up tremendously over the last 30 years. Uh, so you have much faster pacing. But in this case, I actually don't think that's a good thing. I think they over they ran right through things in the 2010 version the other thing that i think is most obvious is the character of andromeda like the motivation for perseus is entirely different from the original clash of the titans to the 2010 version and then in the 1981 version the character is motivated by the fact that he fell in love with andromeda and Andromeda is being threatened. And so then he goes on this quest to be able to stop the Kraken because of his love for Andromeda. In the 2010 version, Andromeda is like a side character, almost like she's being threatened, but she has absolutely no play in the motivation of Perseus. His entire motivation is that he hates the gods. And it just doesn't, it just makes a mess of the story it makes a mess of the story because the main thing that he's known for is you know killing the kraken and saving andromeda like andromeda is like doesn't even matter to him. it's she's just a complete side character and so i think they actually screwed up the story in the 2010 version i think the the actual storyline is better from the 81 version so it's interesting you should try doing that sometime is watching uh watching an old and new version and making comparison have you seen either one of them?
1: I have not seen either one of those ones.
0: Yeah. So the 81 version is on Netflix and the 2010 version is on HBO max at the moment. So yeah. Um, I also watched, uh, I also watched casino Royale starting over on the, uh, the Daniel Craig bond movies. Just it's so well done. It's, it's a fantastic movie. And uh I think of all the Bond movies I've ever seen, this one has the absolute most character development. Like you actually see the development of who Bond is in that movie. So I think that is the number one, the number one thing that makes Casino Royale fantastic. And, uh, and I went to the theaters and got to see Raiders of the Lost Ark. Nice. So yeah, it was fun watching that in theaters with my wife. Uh, It was, uh, it was good times.
1: Oh! I'm like seeing some Nazis' faces melt off.
0: Yes, and I remember <laughs> the first time I watched that, thinking like, "Oh, that was really scary." Yeah, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's fake-looking at this point. <laughs> it d- it didn't hold up super well. I think
1: the the Temple of Doom is still pretty scary. Yeah, uh, seeing someone's heart ripped out is still a little un- uh, a little terrifying.
0: Well, and it does have the uh, it does have the the footnote of being the reason why PG thirteen was developed. Mm-hmm because it was too scary, and the scenes in that were too much for, for PG, and people complained too much, so they developed PG-13 as a result of it. So a little fun movie trivia on that one. All right, Rob, what are you going to watch this week?
1: Uh, well, I'm going to watch Logan Lucky, because since it's on Amazon, and I have that, and I've seen it on the banner many times as I've opened the app and just never watched it, so I've, I've got to remedy that.
0: Yep. I am going to go try to see uh, Let Him Go, the the Western with um, Kevin Costner. I'm not a huge fan of Westerns, but it's a new movie in the theaters, so might as well go support it. All
1: right, Rob, you got anything else? I do not. All
0: right, well, let's wrap up. So thank you, everyone, for checking out the podcast this week. Make sure you subscribe. Uh, Tell your friends about it, write us reviews, check out our YouTube channel and definitely check out filmforfans.com as we got lots of good reviews and other good content up there for you to check out. So uh,
2: until next time, enjoy the movies.